0: This is made possible by Dustin Campbell, Owe oh Them Bones, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. to the politics, politics, politics program for October 26th, 2022. Your old pal Justin Robert Young joining you from Austin, Texas. A little bit later than I normally record the intro because we had to stay up for the Oz-Fetterman debate. You know, guys, sometimes I get painted as being a bit of a ghoul, you know, Because I try to coldly analyze these races that obviously mean a lot to a lot of people. And there are moments for which I can understand. Especially when people are very, very rooted in the issues that they care about. And democracy can be a little, well, cold and ugly. So I'm just going to play for you a supercut of John Fetterman during this debate. Crucially, let me point out that the first clip you're going to hear is him beginning the
1: debate. Hi. Good night, everybody. Now, here's what I think we have to fight about inflation here right now. That's what we need to fight about inflation. And I believe that, again, my doctors, the real doctors that I believe in, they all believe that I'm ready to be served. Uh, that, that's like, you know He got his Pennsylvania right, house from his own inlays from a, a dollar. Mr. Oh. Uh, I I, I do support fracking and I don't, I don't, I support fracking and I stand and I do support fracking. Okay. I don't ever recall in the Statue of Liberty, did they say, you know, you know, take our tired huddle masses and put them on a bus. Everybody in Braddock, uh, an overwhelming majority uh, community of of black uh, community all understood what happened. You know, they uh, they understood what happened and everybody agreed that and whether it was a fifty dollar tax break, you know, about his farm in Montgomery County. So it's about supporting and helping, you know, young earners, excuse me, young, uh, young, uh, young, you know, students. How to- exactly, Mr. Fetterman, do you propose doing that to make it more affordable for a fa- for families? No, I, I just believe I just making it that much more. It, it, it costs too much. And I believe providing the resources to, to reduce the tuition that allow families to be able to afford it.
0: I understand why he had to do it. I understand how much he believes in his cause that he needed to be up there. But in the cold light of day, that is not a candidate that should have been on live television. And if Katie Hobbs out in Arizona could have tapped out on a debate and just faced the reputation for being a coward for not talking to her opponent, then, well, I think John Fetterman should have as well. It's not that Oz had a particularly sparkling outing. He stumbled over his words a little bit on abortion, but Hachi machi, man. You can't really come back at a dude for not phrasing something well when, look, let's be honest, he couldn't speak straight and nor should he be expected to when he's five months away from having a stroke. That's a long and winding road for recovery, a nationally televised debate for which The entire Senate hangs in the balance is not something that will make that recovery faster, easier, or better. Anybody who suggested that he was ready to be there, well, I think we just saw the result. Does this matter? Well, we'll see. <laughs> because partisanship is at an all-time high. I think that there are plenty of people for whom would uh, vote for a a plastic Santa if taped to the front were the policy positions that they agreed with. But as far as debates go, there was the possibility that this would be a car wreck and oh my god, were you know the wheels rolling down the street by the end of it. So that being said, let's get to the episode. We've got plenty of dispatches from the front. Uh, Joe Biden being on the road with uh, Barack Obama. We've got some early voting numbers. Those are definitely not confusing. And lead people to the wrong ideas. And then we're going to take a look at not only where the aggregate polling is for some of these midterm races, specifically when it comes to the Senate, but also matching them up against the 2020 polling misses. So if we take the real clear politics average right now, we match them up against the polling misses where would those numbers land? Some, good for the Democrats. Others, good for the Republicans. We will tell you all of it this episode. But also, we're going to take a look beyond our shores. You know there has to be a gigantic fiasco across the pond for me to take my eyes off the midterms. And yet, within six weeks... The United Kingdom has made a jolly good mess of it. And we talk about every inch of it, not only with our international correspondent, Tom Merritt, but also with a newcomer to this podcast, Manveen Rana. She is of the Times of London. She is the podcast host for Stories of Our Times, their daily podcast. And It's a great conversation. I think you guys are going to very much enjoy it. So let's stop fussing around, shall we? But first. All right. We got a lot of news to get to, and I'm going to do my best to get it to you First and foremost, we head to the Keystone State of Pennsylvania, where we knew that President Barack Obama, the 44th President of the United States, was heading to Pennsylvania to stump for Shapiro and Fetterman. What we did not know is what we found out this week, that Joe Biden was going to join him. Joe Biden has been, some might say prudently, others might say suspiciously, off the campaign trail throughout a lot of this midterms. The fact that his approval rating was low for a lot of the summer, rebounded with the gas prices, now is trending somewhere in the low 40s, around where Trump's was, around where Obama's was, in the midterms where their parties lost seats. That might inform it. In fact, let's give you a little comparison. Leading up to the midterms at their two-year mark, Obama had held 14 large rallies. Donald Trump, 26. And so Biden does get off his duff. Granted, it's going to be surrounded by a phalanx of talent, including the two candidates. And it's in a state for which he is well known. Scranton is where Joe Biden touts as his home, although he has been the senator from Delaware. But whenever he's telling a story about his dad and he's calling him Joey, trust me, having sat through a bunch of them, it's usually taking place in Scranton. Biden has been a little bit defensive of the fact that people have pointed out his absence. And indeed, he said last week that he had gotten 16 to 18 requests to get on the campaign trail. So people want him, right? It's just the fact that Biden, you know, he doesn't He's got to figure it out. You know, he'll be there. He'll be there. He'll be, maybe he'll be there. He'll be there in spirit He'll be there somewhere, here, there, and everywhere Joe Biden will be present. Meanwhile, Obama is barnstorming. He has announced plans to campaign in Atlanta, Detroit, and Milwaukee. Meanwhile, even if Biden is going to be out on the campaign trail, he still is going to do something that any president, no matter how popular or unpopular, is able to do. Be famous in a room with rich people so rich people will drop money out of their pockets and you can pick it up. On October 28th of this week, that'll be two days from when you listen to this episode, if you listen to it on the day that it is released, Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. Somebody else who has been even more absent from this campaign trail will fundraise with Fetterman. All right, now that we've figured out where in the world Dark Brandon is, let's take a look at an issue in two different states that I never really know what the hot hell to do with. Okay, so I'm going to give you guys a lot of data. And if you trust or know what to do with this data, then God bless you. But I will say up top, I find it to be something that only twists numbers, people in knots. And that is early voting returns. Oh, what a seductive sound, huh? Early voting returns. It it, it sounds like you already know what's going to happen on Election Day. These are real votes after all. And with a little demographic teasing, we can see who's really ahead before Election Day even rolls around. And yet, as we find out time after time after time, any trend we think is happening may or may not actually be. So, with that caveat up front, let's go to Georgia, the peach state. This is from Georgia Public Broadcasting. After one full week of in-person voting in Georgia, nearly 838,000 people have already cast their ballots in an election that is expected to shatter midterm records. According to an analysis of absentee data from the Secretary of State's office, turnout is nearly 60% higher than the same point in 2018, thanks in part to record voter interest and an increasing shift in voters utilizing the state's three-week early voting period. Looking at the demographics of Georgia's voters so far, the electorate is older, good for the Republicans, and blacker, good for the Democrats. This time, than in previous elections. As the tightly contested races for U.S. Senate, Governor, and other statewide offices are drawing voter enthusiasm. Georgia, as a state, does not have party registration. But voter data from the spring primary that happened earlier this year shows around 34% of early voters participated in the Republican primary. Okay, well, that shows that there's... You know, uh, Republican participation and 32% in the Democratic primary. Okay, so a slight edge there for the Republicans very early in the process. But that doesn't necessarily mean what you might think, as some Democrats crossed over to vote in the primary on the Republican side because it had more interesting contests like Kemp versus Purdue than anything that was happening on the Democratic side. So take all that with a grain of salt as well. But many of Georgia's early voters are the ones that vote all the time. 95% of them participated in 2018, 2020, or 2021. That was the Senate runoff. And 37,000 voters did not cast ballots in any of those elections, almost a third of them black. 40% of the 37,000 newly registered this year. Now that is mixed to good news theoretically. Again, 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 gigantic caveat. We're going to talk about polls in our next segment. And I trust polling way more than I trust early voting data. And with that, I don't trust polling all that much. So, so... If that was mixed to good news for Democrats in Georgia and probably weirdly good news for Brian Kemp and Brad Raffensperger as voting continues to surge in Georgia, despite them being called the new Jim Crow, we now move to maybe some downbeat news for Democrats. This in Nevada from John Ralston, oft thought to be the oracle. Of the silver state's politics. Turnout in Clark County, the only county that really matters in Nevada, is down. Way down. Now, only two days in at the point that we are reporting it. But the Clark County mail ballot number is 38,789. That's not fantastic. And here's why. In 2020, early voting and mail voting in Clark County was the vast majority of all voting that happened in Clark County. Early vote was over four hundred and eleven thousand mail turnout was over four hundred and fifty three thousand. That being said, it was 2020. There was a thing called COVID and lockdowns, and a lot of that was way more normalized. But still, it is something that was a lot more utilized than Election Day turnout, which was only 109,000 in Clark County. Obviously, that was a close election if you buy into the idea that Democrats use these more than Republicans do, which has really only been a thing since 2020, previous to that early voting and mail voting was almost universally Republican because it was almost universally older. Well, then it might not be great news for Catherine Cortez Masto in her race against Adam Laxalt, the same race that we will be on the ground covering. In not but two weeks' time. Hey, gang. We will keep this short, but a reminder that you power this program. You, listening to this show. You... That leaves a review on the podcast app of your choice. You that leaves a review on the podcast app of your choice. You that goes and tells somebody that you know this week that there is only one podcast, totally independent, totally without any kind of lean beyond the one forward to you because I am doing my best Doing my best to carve out some sense from the noise that is the midterms. And I'm humble about it. You didn't see me jumping up and down and saying, I told you so about the Herschel Walker badge thing, that it was a really bad move from Warnock. And now nobody's talking about Christian Walker. Nobody's talking about his abortions. No. We're spending more time talking about the Ebenezer Baptist Church kicking people out and whether or not Herschel Walker's a real cop than any of those things that I think could actually cleave Kemp voters in the suburbs from Herschel Walker this fall in 12 days. You don't see me talking about that. That's my humility. That's because I am a servant to you, the listeners of PX3. But the only way that I have the ability to even do that to be in your lives for free is because some do give. And friends, we love it when you give. TakePoliticsSeriously.com is where you need to go. And I'm going to tell you what you can get for your money right after I give you a bonus story because we're chock a block full of content on this program today. Hey, the Democrats have done really, really well fundraising, but they have not had the contributions of 2 Donors, two donors that normally put a ton of money into elections, Michael Bloomberg and Tom Steyer. This was investigated by Huffington Post and Huffington Post found a pretty good reason why they both ran for president in 2020. Both Tom Steyer, who had the most lit campaign events that I have uh, attended, opened bar I gotta see Juvenile. I gotta see TLC. I gotta see DJ Jazzy Jeff. I mean, great, great campaign events, Tom Steyer. That man can throw a campaign event. Unfortunately, Bloomberg crapped out before I could, I could see any of his, but I heard that those spreads were were pretty amazing as well. So I don't know whether or not it's because they spent a bunch of money running for president, or if maybe they're a little hurt. That the party did not coalesce around them. And so instead, they're going to hold back their, their their largesse a little bit for a cycle. But I'm sure they'll be back in 2024. Now, if I were speaking directly to them, Tom, Mikey, you want some, you know, a place to go with your money. I don't need a lot of it. No, no, no. I'm talking about $3 a week. Which... We've got officially two more weeks to go. So I'm talking about $6. $6 is what I'm talking about. And you can get all the bonus episodes from now until the midterms. $6. You're going to get four bonus episodes in that time. The one from this Monday... The one from this Thursday, that'll be the late edition. Another one next Monday, another one next Thursday. You double your PX3 output when you head to TakePoliticsSeriously.com and sign up at the $3 level. Guys, I know you're saving money. I know you're saving money not donating to a lot of these campaigns. So how about you head on over to mine? TakePoliticsSeriously.com. And thank you for the free booze, Tom. I very much appreciated the free booze. Take politics seriously.com All right, let's break down some polls here. This is the real clear politics. Average for the big competitive house races right now. They have John Fetterman up 1.3% on average. They have Maggie Hassan up 3.6% on average. We're not going to talk a lot about New Hampshire in this segment, but breaking news. As I walked into the booth to record this right now is the Republicans are getting back into that media market. The way that the Republicans are acting right now, they seem to believe internally that this is a red wave election and they might touch some races that they wouldn't otherwise. Will they be proven foolhardy? We will find out. North Carolina, Ted Budd is up 3.7. In Nevada, Adam Laxalt up by nearly a point. 0.8 is exactly what he is up by. Arizona, Mark Kelly is up 2.5. Warnock in Georgia up 0.5. In Ohio, J.D. Vance up 2. In Wisconsin, Ron Johnson up 2.7. And the rest of them are, are pretty much out of contention. Those are the ones that are within five points. Now, here's what I want to talk to you guys about. Because there's a lot of specious data in this episode. A lot of data that can be interpreted a lot of different ways. So I can't tell you what's true or not. I can't look into a bunch of random chaos and explain exactly what the pattern is going to be. If I were doing that, I wouldn't need to talk for a living. I just bet. So the best I can do when this stuff hits your radar is explain to you the way that I look at it. So the one big thing that we have seen specifically in 2016 and 2020 during the Trump epic, right? The Trump era is that Republican support specifically in certain states is hard to poll. Now, I'm not going to go into some crazy world and say that all the polls are specifically there to be Democratic agitprop. I don't believe that's the case. I do believe that since we lost the greatest gift to polling, which was the landline that some groups have been hard. Everybody's been harder to pull. Some groups harder to pull than others. MAGA Republicans, many of which I would assume would be among the last people on earth with a landline uh, are, are one of them. But again, this is not made equally. Some of these States have historically had bigger misses than others. so, We're going to go with data from 2020 here with the understanding that Trump's not on the ballot, but let's just use that as a guide. That's the last thing we have. So these are polls with big corrections, states that Trump did not win, but here's how much the polls were off. In Wisconsin in 2020, the polls were off 7.4 points. So if we're then cross referencing that with where the real clear politics average is right now that would mean that Ron Johnson is up over 10 points. He's got a 10 point lead if the if if the same miss happens again. In Pennsylvania, the miss in 2020 was 2.7 points. That if we if we use that polling against what the current real clear politics average is, which is one point three advantage for Fetterman would mean that Dr. Mehmet Oz would be your senator from the Keystone state. So the closer that that average gets, the closer that we are get via the polling, the more you have to start thinking of where the polls are off and whether or not. Those poll misses are widening or shortening. Are the polls getting better or worse at polling MAGA people? Let's swing to Ohio. Ohio, the polls were off by 8.2% in 2020. Add that to J.D. Vance's lead of 2% and you have another 10-point victory for the Republicans. But let's go to these. So those are pretty good news for Republican candidates. Let's look at some, some you know better news for Democrats. Arizona. In 2020, the polls were off one point. If we match that to the Real Clear Politics average right now, Mark Kelly would still win by one and a half points lot smaller than we were seeing earlier in the summer. But still, if we're, if we're doing the math here the same way, that's what it shows. Meanwhile, the most interesting one to me is Georgia. Georgia in 2020 overestimated Republican support. It missed its poll by 1.2 the other way. Add that to Raphael Warnock's advantage, and he wins by 1.7. Then we also have North Carolina. North Carolina uh, was a 2.5 miss. That would mean that Ted Budd wins by around six points. Some other data to pay attention to. The betting markets. Something else that that tends to go into models. Right now, the betting markets have flipped. They have the Republicans winning the Senate, uh, uh, 67 to 38, and it's largely because of two states. Nevada, where Laxalt is now favored to win, and Pennsylvania, where Uh, Mehmet Oz is now favored to win in the prediction markets. What does that mean? A hill of beans right now. Again, swirling, swirling data. So before we end this segment, let me just give you this serenity prayer. All right. This is the PX3 election serenity prayer. Making its debut, God, grant me the serenity to understand the data I can. The courage to understand that there is data I don't understand. And the wisdom to shut up about both before I say something on Twitter that I'm going to get dunked on for. Amen. Oh, we got a treat for you. Obviously, everyone's getting overheated with midterm stuff. Obviously, we are in the thick of it. But speaking of the thick of it. There is one political scene that has inspired no shortage of memes from that classic BBC program. Indeed, it is the three-ring circus known as British politics. And so we're going to take a little breather from the American side and head on special relationship way where we will discuss... Everything that has gone on in one of the most eventful two months of my lifetime, at least that I can remember, of what has gone on in London. Here to help us break it down is not only our international correspondent, Tom Merritt but also making her debut on the program is a journalist from the Times of London. She is also the host of Stories of Our Times, a daily podcast that goes in-depth on one story each and every time that you listen. Welcome to the show, Tom. Oh, it's good to be back, Justin. And welcome to the show for the first time, Manvin.
2: Hello from afar.
0: All right, let's let let's let's get into this here because uh, it has been a, a a very 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 chaotic uh, situation over there in in the UK. But it seems to have come to a resolution over the last seventy two hours. Uh, uh, Manveen, catch us up. Do you have a prime minister, and what is his or her name for now? <laughs>
2: Well, that's a very good question Um, and one you probably shouldn't ask Joe Biden. Um, It's (laughs) Rishi Sunak, as it's pronounced here. Um, And I mean, to be honest, for most of us in this country, it feels like we're sort of waking up from a fever dream and hoping that we do actually sort of have something like a stable government for at least another four weeks. Um, Beyond that is anyone's guess. But yes, so we, we, we went into the weekend faced with the prospect of having an almighty battle and possibly having Boris Johnson back, which I think would have come as a shock to most people. Uh, You know, a man who left in disgrace and was told by his entire cabinet and an awful lot of his MPs that he wasn't fit to do the job just three months ago, (laughs) might have been back in office now. Um, But thankfully, he pulled out on Sunday. Uh, All the other votes sort of seemed to fall apart. Penny Mordaunt, who was also in the running, couldn't get enough numbers to to push her over the line. And fortunately for everybody, it meant that the vote didn't have to go to the Tory party membership. Now, this is one of those bizarre, completely undemocratic kinks in our system, where there was the potential where uh, a tiny proportion of this country would have chosen who the next prime minister is. It would have gone to the Tory party membership who are not necessarily representative of most of the country. They tend to be older, financially secure. They don't have the same interests. as. I mean, at this point, to be honest, you may as well have asked the credit ratings agency to decide who the best, most competent person was to win, because that would have been just as democratic and it might have been more helpful for the economy, which would help all of us. But they would have gone to this tiny proportion of people. There were already questions being asked about how you'd have an online vote and whether the Russians might have infiltrated it. So (laughs) thankfully for everyone, and hopefully it means for the next two years, we don't have to have that argument, at least. Uh, It was decided in the Tory party um, MPs uh, within parliament, and it didn't have to go out any further than that. And We have a prime minister at long last. (laughs)
0: <laughs> you, you you indeed do tom let me ask you this before we uh are are forced as content creators to stop talking about boris johnson uh, mm. let's 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 have one last hurrah here uh isn't it kind of wild that only having a bunch of ministers drip 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 out of your cabinet was the least chaotic of the two weeks <laughs> uh, as opposed to the ones that followed
3: yeah i uh i First of all, uh, I believe technically uh, anybody can be prime minister. You know, if the king appoints them, it's only social pressure that that keeps him. You know, from from uh, from just appointing uh, Justin's mom, who I was going to put forward. Sure, uh, I mean if that's the, an avenue we dignity. haven't explored yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, thankfully you didn't have to. You didn't have to go that long. I firmly believe Boris give, Johnson. Give it another plan- two
2: months. There's still an option. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> she might be needed before Christmas. Uh, Clear I her fir- diary. I firmly
3: believe Boris plans to come back. I don't think even Boris planned for his comeback to happen so soon. Uh, and 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 so I, he was taken unawares on on his holiday in the Caribbean uh, and and it was even too much for Boris Johnson to be like, no, I, even I can't pull off uh, a, a six week turnaround. I, I need a, a little more cooling time uh, before people will accept me.
2: It Although was really did. ironic that he was on holiday in the Caribbean at the time because you know, all of his supporters came forward saying, This is a changed man. He's yeah. had time out of office to to reform. And you're like, Well, it's term time. He is an MP. He's being <laughs> paid to be in Parliament and he's on holiday in the Caribbean. <laughs> I'm not 10, sure he's, he's gonna he's sort of I'm not sure he's looking entirely reformed. <laughs> he's not not doing what you'd expect from a responsible politician necessarily. But he came back early from his um his Uh, his holiday during term time and then got an awful lot of applause for tucking in his shirt. So that's, that's where we are as a country.
0: (laughs) Well, it is, it is very, very interesting. Not only that we can put the phrases Boris Johnson and sunbathing in the same sentence, but also (laughs) that, that everything is in such chaos with the conservative party, which, which leads me to my next question. Uh, When is the next election in in the UK, Manveen?
2: Well, that, Is a very pertinent question, because officially there doesn't have to be one for another two years. But there is an awful lot of pressure here. You know, we've sort of had um, online petitions, which, you know, you can petition Parliament. And as long as you get more than a certain number of votes uh, and number of people signing up, it actually has to go to Parliament to be debated. I mean, there are very serious petitions. All the polls in this country show that two thirds of people currently believe we should have a general election now because so much has changed since the last time we went to the polls and we've got been through several leaders and the manifesto is completely out of date. Um, but it's up to Rishi Sunak to decide if he wants to do that. The only way we might still get an election sooner than that is if the government loses a vote of confidence in Parliament um, or if on Monday uh, the government has to bring its budget to Parliament and if that vote doesn't pass, that is considered a vote of no confidence in the government and the government collapses, at which point... You get a general election. So, uh, unless that happens, I don't think it would be in Rishi Sunak's interests really to call an election anytime soon. Yeah, because,
3: it's, it's not yeah. likely uh, that that would happen, uh, Manveen. But it, no. it's not impossible because you you do not have a united Tory party. Uh, in fact, Rishi Sunak lost the first membership vote on this. So, do we do we have a scenario under which? Uh, we see that happening? Like what what could get those backbenchers uh, so up in arms they'd be willing to risk this again? It, it, it seems pretty unlikely.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'd agree. It seems pretty unlikely. He lost the first membership vote because it went out to the members. But mm-hmm. actually within parliament, most MPs at the time, he had far more MPs backing him than any other candidate. This time again, he seems to have um, MPs behind him. The vote is coming on Monday, so it's almost too soon for there to be a rebellion. The rebellions will come, uh, undoubtedly. You know, the party is not united under him. He's just announcing his cabinet at the moment, and it's interesting that he's brought in Suella Braverman, mm-hmm. who was sacked as being incapable of, you know, not being up to the job of Home Secretary less than a week ago. She's now back in as Home Secretary, um, entirely in order to keep the sort of more, the you know, the further right-wing um, bit of the party happy. You know, she's sort of like red meat to to the the most right wing um, elements in the party. She's the, you know, she's the the, the home secretary who will call for, um, to the, the minimal um, immigration. She wants to send people to Rwanda if they're applying for asylum, um, all, all the things that are likely to get sort of uh, the, you know, the, that end of the party going. So he's brought her into the tent, which is, you know, people weren't sure if he would, because there have been questions about her ability to do the job, her competence. And he's made it sound like he was going to hire entirely on that basis. But He's clearly trying to have a big tent. He's trying to bring people in from all p- bits of the party. Whether that'll work, though, is you know highly debatable. He sacked people like Jacob Rees-Mogg. Um, you know, there will be people on the back benches from day one, really, plotting his demise. Not least Boris Johnson, who I suspect still doesn't believe it's entirely over for him. Um, and Liz Truss, who in her Parting speech made it quite clear that she thought she was right all along, and he in his <laughs> in his first speech ma- managed to come in and and talk about how uh, the mistakes that his predecessors had made. So I, I think, yeah, I think we'd be foolish to assume all is all is well in in Tory land.
0: Well, let, let me let me let me ask that uh, uh, because it it appears from the very beginning at at the point that Boris was was run out, and certainly. He was was no stranger to controversy, but he kind of made a brand on surviving it. When he was run out, it was deliberate. You do not space out resignations by ministers of parliament by a day and a half unless you want to maximize pressure and bring things to a boil. It did. He's gone. It seemed like like the push was for Rishi. That doesn't happen. Liz Truss comes in. She immolates in record time. And now we get ready for Rishi after all. So is the conservative party at a period of at least – tired, are their forearms tired from stabbing each other or, or do you think that there is still more chaos yet to come?
2: I, I mean, the, the Tory party is slightly incapable at this stage of just being unified. You know, it's people within the party have talked about it being ungovernable. Uh, and even Boris Johnson said that as, as, you know, it was one of the reasons he decided to step back. That is not something that Rishi Sunak is going to be able to solve. You know, he has a a world of trouble coming up economically. He'll have to make unpopular cuts. That will hit people's constituencies. You know, he's going to have a hell of a rebellion on his hands pretty soon. Uh, But what's really astonishing, I think, for those of us who've watched British politics for uh, the last few decades, is just, just the poll ratings. I mean, the Tory party is currently being decimated in the polls. And even people within the party I've been talking to in the last 24 hours, you know, they're, they're hoping that Rishi Sunak will mean that they lose less badly, but mm. not, you know, nobody is actually going expecting to win the next election at the moment. It seems to be, you know, people are sort of just hoping it means they're not entirely wiped out, which is how things looked a week ago. That could have been yeah. the end of the party. It, it does
3: feel like uh, the the scenario that seems most likely is that uh, Sunak is almost a technocratic prime minister will do what needs to be done, uh, fend off uh, the, the worst of the of the rebellion uh, until the election has to be called. And then the Tories lose. Uh, there, there just doesn't seem to be any alternate universe than that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I'd agree. It's hard to sort of see the economy picking up anytime soon. Hmm. We have more trouble coming. I mean, there are sort of estimates that 90 percent of schools, you know, imagine this, 90 percent of Schools for you know well, in your system I guess public schools but you know they're all state schools here um, mm-hmm. could potentially go bankrupt next year because of bills and that means you know the government will have to borrow even more to sort of keep them alive I mean it, things are things are uh, we are nowhere near the the worst of where the economy is going to go and that's going to be all on Rishi Sunak's watch and that that's that's quite tough as a sell to the public even even in two years time. Um, which, which, which gets to the
0: other question, which is like, what did he win? <laughs>
2: who would who would want <laughs>
0: this position? Worldwide, right. leaders are getting pummeled in the polls. It seems like the only president who has any kind of popular approval rating is the one being invaded by Russia currently. So, if you are the head of state going into the next two years, uh, especially in 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 a, in a G eight nation, this is this is rough sledding.
2: I know why, why, why? Indeed, why would anyone want it? Um, I, I, I mean, to be honest, I'm baffled. <laughs> Nobody's quite sure what makes people want power, regardless of of the challenges they're bound to to face. And he really is. I mean, it's going to be incredibly tough. It's interesting that you mentioned Zelensky because you know that's been the the great cop-out for, the, certainly for Boris Johnson. And Liz Truss spent her entire month in office trying to arrange a trip to Ukraine because that's usually what makes a British Prime Minister look grand. Um, mm-hmm. Rishi Sunak doesn't have much of a reputation on foreign affairs. And there have been rumours that as Chancellor, you know, he was worried about how much we'd be spending on sending weapons to Ukraine. So it, that's that's an interesting place to watch. Um, and that would lose him even more support in his party. But, you know, the, As the economy plummets, who knows where that'll that'll end up?
0: I I think I think he'll make his way to Kiev. (laughs) I feel like he's gonna want. I feel like that photo op is gonna be worth a a pretty penny. I think they
2: go for the photo op and they come back knowing they can't cut weapons.
0: (laughs) You can't. (laughs) can't. No, yeah, no. You you were gonna pay for that picture in rockets. Uh, uh, They're not gonna send Dominic Rob instead. Yeah. Uh, uh, Why, 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 Tom? Why would why would somebody want to just get get punished? Because it seemed like right now, the most likely scenario that you guys have painted is that Rishi Sunak is a bucket to be filled with anger uh, that will eventually be dumped out when he has to call for an election.
3: Yeah, I, it may be one of the rare cases uh, where where it's not the best interests of the person to do it. It's that they desire it. Uh, I think Rishi Sunak uh, and, and he's not alone. Liz Trust had the same scenario, uh, the same story, wants to be prime minister. Uh, and perhaps he believes that he is the one who. Who can overcome this because he's the safe set of hands uh, and that if he guides the country through these storms, uh, he could somehow be rewarded at the end. And, and he's willing to take that gamble in order to be the person in number 10. Uh, that that really is the only explanation I can think of is that he, he wants the opportunity and he thinks he can do the job and he thinks he's the right person for the situation.
2: Also, he is an incredibly wealthy man. Yeah. And, you know, in in the echelons of the super rich, I guess the one thing you don't have is power. So Mm -hmm. so just being in that position sort of is is quite a good calling card
0: for the future. So let's 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 get into kind of the Rishi, the man, because you mentioned the first part of it. I I heard two things that were repeated ad nauseum. Number one extraordinarily rich for which man and I totally agree with you. If there's one thing when you're hanging out at the rich guy club, a uh, uh, capital T capital R capital C uh, the one thing that you can say that they don't have, sure they can have their soccer teams and their <laughs> mega yachts. But if you get to be prime minister, that is something to brag on. The other thing is that he is the first Indian prime minister of the United kingdom, which of those two matters more or are they equal?
2: That is such a good question. I mean, I think it's incredibly difficult having an extraordinarily rich prime minister just as you're going into a cost of living crisis. So he's going to have to spend the next two years standing up saying, I know it's going to hurt, um, but I really think we need to make cuts here, 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 which is going to make everybody's life incredibly hard. He'll probably end up raising taxes um, while we're watching him live a life where none of that really matters. That's an incredibly hard thing to sell to the public. Um, I mean, I don't know, we've never had a position where we've had a prime minister who's richer than the King, not since the 1800s, <laughs> I think. Um, but you know, you guys have just had Donald Trump, maybe you're used to this. I think it's, for, for in Britain, it's a harder sell. Um, in terms of him being, uh, of Indian descent, I mean, that it is a huge, it is a historic moment, I think for, you know, people of color in, in Britain, um. I have found it really interesting, though, sort of watching all the coverage around the world because people are talking about it as our Obama moment. And for some reason, it doesn't quite feel like that here. And I don't know if it's because of the you know clownish way he's come in, where you've had a government mm. literally imploding, um, or just that, you know, when he speaks, he doesn't have that sort of same, you know, the same level of oratory. He sounded a bit like a robot in his first statement to Um, to the public on getting the job. I mean, if you haven't seen it, go back and watch. There's a really awkward moment where he sort of even, he freezes at the end and then walks off literally like a robot. It's very odd. I think he's going to need some training on on stuff like that. Um, So he he doesn't have the same sort of inspiring qualities, I suppose, that, you know, with the Barmo. there was a moment of hope around the world. Whatever your politics were, there was sort of like this great, this person who who spoke to dreams. Um, Rishi Sunak's not quite that. And I think, also, we've for some reason in this country we have a history where Labour doesn't have as many, um, has never had sort of as as many people of colour in very senior positions. The Tories have, you know, they've ended up in the last couple of years uh, with a cabinet which has, you know, had a, a number of people in the in the highest ministries, you know, as Chancellor as Home Secretary, um, who are from ethnic minorities. The problem is, it's always been under a government which is very much against ethnic minorities. You know, instead of it's more anti-immigration than any any government we've had before. It's the you know pro Brexit. It's taken us out of um, you know, and and a lot of that obviously has dog whistle associations as well. So I think for a lot of people of color in this country, it's it's an awkward moment because it is genuinely a moment of hope. You know, most people would not have been able to imagine this even 10 years ago. It, it's, it's huge. It's transformative, but his politics were awkward. <laughs> uh, well, and
3: I thought it was significant, uh, that he did not mention his family history, uh, in, in his address, uh, president Obama, uh, would always humbly acknowledge his role in history. Uh, there, there wasn't a whiff of that. Uh, from Sunak and what, in what he said. And yes, he's rich and he married someone even richer. Uh, So I I don't know if he doesn't want to shine light on his family history because of that. Uh, But you know, he's, he's not just of, of Indian descent. He's, he's Indian families in East Africa, which is its own uh, unique culture uh, that his parents came over. You would think that that would be worth a nod. And, 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 and he didn't say a thing.
2: To be honest, I think it's because of that awkward relationship the Tory party has at the moment of sort Mm. of promoting people of color, but at the same time, um, you know, in most of its membership, I mean, it was interesting that he didn't win the vote the first time around. And we've had some extraordinary moments in the last few days with people calling up talk shows and things here and saying things that wouldn't have been sayable in the past, but basically making it clear they didn't think a person of color should be allowed to be to be prime minister in this country, which is extraordinary. But the fact that you're hearing it from Tory party members out loud is probably one of the reasons why he wouldn't have felt he wanted to make that a big, a big deal of it.
0: Uh, what was, I know that that both Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak have had uh, you know, to, to re-jumble their their priorities since Brexit because that was such a big shakeup in British politics and specifically even within the Conservative Party. And it seems like they're still even reconciling with it. Where where was Rishi on Brexit?
2: Well, this is the astonishing thing. So, you know, one of the reasons he lost to Liz, Liz Truss, you know, one of the things that kept coming up was that they thought she was the pro-Brexit candidate, but Liz Truss was actually a Remainer. at the when when the vote happened Um, whereas Rishi Sunak was a true believer in Brexit you know for economic reasons Um, but you know I think somebody uh, said said it best here when they sort of said that politics here has kind of come down in the last few years to vibes and people look you know the Tory party looked at Rishi Sunak and they got the vibe of somebody who was you know had had an international career um, looked beyond the borders I suppose for opportunities and business and uh, and they didn't see him as a proper Brexiteer whereas Liz Truss who had voted voted remain um, seemed you know she did lots of photo shoots looking like Margaret Thatcher so they, they welcomed her in <laughs> astonishing
0: vibes huh maybe I vibes. should cover more UK politics I love covering vibes <laughs> that's among my favourite things to cover <laughs> Uh, uh well well let's actually talk about the other side of the aisle there. Uh, uh, although you guys have many sides of the aisle in the UK, but Labour being the chief antagonist to the Conservative Party, they have for for folks who have not paid uh, very close attention, seem to have shed their Jeremy Corbyn leadership, and now at least according to conventional wisdom, feel like they are only a matter of time away from regaining power. Uh, uh, Manveen, can you tell us about the new look Labour Party?
2: <laughs> sure. I mean, um, I've never known an opposition party that didn't think it was about to, to take power. However, <laughs> um, <laughs> I think they've, um, they, they, they've got a, they've got a li- little bit more realism on their side, just because if you look at the polls, the polls in the last few weeks have been astonishing. We have literally never seen anything like this. But at one point under Liz Truss, the Tory party was down to 15%. I mean, imagine they've got a, a massive majority of more than 80 seats at the moment. 15% of votes would go to them. I mean, it would be a landslide for Labour. So having looked at figures like that, I think they are suddenly very confident and they're starting to act a lot like uh, a government in waiting, which is something Keir Starmer, their, their new leader, has been talking about. Now, he's sort of spent uh, all the time since he got elected D Jeremy Corbyn, if, if that's a word, the party. He's <laughs> mm-hmm. been taking out the old Corbyn influence, uh, sacking people for being too far left. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, obviously they've they've been in the shadows now for 12 years. They have very few people left who actually have lived experience of being in government, of being and you know, unlike America, you know, you guys have a transition period. We don't have that. If you win an election yeah. and you've spent the last four weeks, thinking only about how to win the election, we're trying to be all, all over the country in order to win the election, suddenly you wake up and you're in number 10 and you're running the country and nobody's taught you how. <laughs> so that's that for them is the most urgent problem. You know, they've got a few people left over from the Blair years who will probably be big hitters in, in a future Labour cabinet. They certainly are in the shadow cabinet. Um, but because of this, you know, with a, a, an awareness of it, uh, Keir Starmer has actually had a number of senior Labour um Figures attending government class effectively. This is amazing. So yeah. we we have the Institute of Government here who have set up special classes on how to govern, so that if it happened, they'd at least know what to do for the first week or so. You know, they'd know they'd go in and understand the machinery of government. But
3: I don't know. It seems like a good idea for a lot of governments to be honest.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I know government classes make those compulsory. Yeah. Um, but you know that's how seriously they're taking their chances. They genuinely think it might might happen any moment.
0: Uh, Tom, uh, uh, if, if labor is is all but waiting to be in government, it seems like from the next time that the conservatives have to call an election, that's a lot of time for things to go wrong.
3: Yeah, I, I well, I I think that's that's Labor's very wise position is lo- looking at the horizon and seeing the storms and the rocks and knowing that it, while it's possible they make it all the way to the next required election date, uh, there's lots of chances for them, uh, and so they 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 want to keep their their uh, their powder dry and and ready to go at a moment's notice because n- no one thought Liz Truss would last six only 6 weeks uh yeah. and and so at this point anything's possible uh and i think that's smart uh for labor to be ready um, and it, there are so many things we haven't even talked about uh, that could cause unexpected problems. Uh, one that comes to my mind is, is the whole situation in Northern Ireland, uh, which still remains entirely unresolved as far as the European Union is concerned, uh, but has sort of been shoved to the back burner uh, as the UK deals with the mess of having a government at all. Uh, and, and that's going to come up. Uh, it's, it's not going to stay on the back burner forever.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, I I think, you know, any government coming in is going to have to address that urgently. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not least because it's really, you know, I think they will will have to think about our relationship with Europe full stop, just because if we are all about growth now, apparently, after Liz Truss, um, we need to think about the single thing that's holding us back. So, you know, that you're starting to hear people within the Tory ranks now saying, maybe it's time we thought about having a better relationship with Europe, maybe even rejoining the common market. So... Yeah, let let let's see where that lands.
3: Yeah, e- either way it goes, uh, putting in a harder customs border in in Northern Ireland, or agreeing to to you know loosen it even further, or or, or I, you can't really leave it as as it is. That's going to anger someone and cause a crisis that could cause a crisis in confidence in the government.
2: Yeah, and in you know the last two governments certainly seem to have been more worried about um, how America would react mm. to what they did in Northern Ireland than how Europe would. And that's probably where we've been going wrong, I fear. Um, you know, given that our biggest trade partner is actually Europe. So I think that, you know, they might have to rethink some of that urgently. I mean the other things for them to worry about, you know, coming up is obviously Boris Johnson, you know, one of the reasons he didn't end up as leader this time um, is because there is this inquiry by the privileges committee, which might end up suspending him from parliament. Mm. You know, it could lead to him losing his seat altogether if his if his constituency calls for a recall, which they'd be entitled to do if he's suspended. Uh, and that's again some you know a massive scandal that will remind people of the Tory party at its lowest party gate and uh, you know the visceral anger a lot of people had over that. Um, there's also now a COVID inquiry launching, which to be honest, will not look good for, for Rishi Sunak either, because, you know, he sort of came across as the the chancellor who gave, you know, a lot of people who quite like him. It all comes down to the speech he did right at the start of lockdown, where he sort of, he was the one handing out furlough and, and money and saying it's all going to be okay. Uh, but behind the scenes, he was very keen for lockdown to end much sooner. Uh, he stopped us going into lockdown a second time, which led to many people losing their lives, um, because he was worried about the economy. So there there are you know chances are he will end up in quite a lot of trouble over the inquiry well, that's certainly the the whispers we're hearing um in which case you know that's another scandal on his doorstep when he's still dealing with cuts in the economy and everything else i mean it's it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough year or so
0: all right last question for the both of you we'll start with tom obviously this has been an eventful series of weeks is there one moment that sticks out more than any others of uh, this three ring circus that uh, I guess is is at the very least at intermission, if not over entirely, Tom?
3: There's so many to choose from. Uh, but honestly, I think my favorite uh, thing to to hold on to is that uh, Liz Truss, even with the short term she served as prime minister, Uh, got to serve under two monarchs, a queen and a king, (laughs) and she'll always have that.
0: Yep. put that that on the commemorative plates for Liz Truss. Two monarchs, one on either side. 45 days, two monarchs. (laughs) None none have done it more efficiently than (laughs) uh, a
2: prime minister trust. Uh, uh, Manveen? oh god um i mean it's, it's tough you know given that her time in office was over before most people's probation in a job would end um <laughs> and yet so many moments to choose from yeah <laughs> um i think you know her, her speech on leaving today was quite remarkable you know she it's traditional for prime ministers to talk about the, the great things they've achieved and she tried to do that she, didn't last long. But also in the list that she she named, there were things that she's already had to reverse because they'd gone so wrong. Um, I think just watching, you know, for all of us, the, the commentary for the journalists, just watching mm-hmm. every time she stood up and did a speech announcing something new, watching how the, the, the pound fluctuated <laughs> and just dropped off a cliff was horrendous, but kind of also remarkable. <laughs> we're not going to forget that in a hurry.
0: Yeah, that's where that's where, you know, again, an amateur observer here on the other side of the pond. But uh, uh, it seems that there's one thing that is a death knell to any British politician, and that is the pound doing anything weird. (laughs) As soon as the pound does anything weird, you are are toast.
2: The the market apparently priced it in and they were calling it the moron premium. (laughs) Um, Literally traders put on. (laughs) As long as Liz Truss and Quasi Kwarteng were in office, they put on a, a moron premium on all um, <laughs> British debt. <laughs> we were having to pay more for... Our guilt yields were, were going up. Uh, wow. And it was literally called the moron premium. So that, that living in a country <laughs> that up until now had a reputation for being vaguely stable, um, watching that happen, watching there be a moron premium yeah. on our government debt, that's quite something.
0: Uh, Tom, of course, when you were... <laughs> When you are not our international correspondent, you are doing Daily Tech News Show. Uh, uh, anything else that you'd like uh, to get out there? Uh,
3: sure. Uh, the The other thing I'd like to, to remind people of is a news show I do where I sit down and I, I just talk uh, with people based on a word. Uh, and we just kind of riff and, and explore how they think about that particular word and everything else. Uh, I've had some some really fun uh, folks come on and, and talk, including Andrew Jones-Roy, uh, data scientist, familiar to, to many in the community, as as somebody who appears on Andrew Heaton's podcast. Uh, we've got Michael Kinney, uh, who, who is probably most famous as Coach Armstrong on Degrassi, uh, but also an online instructor uh, coming on to talk about learning. Uh, you can find all that at awordpodcast.com.
0: And Manveen, you have the stories of our times. If you are more interested in uh, or you're interested in listening to some of the best journalists in the UK covering the news of the day and really not only the UK, but around the world, then I would highly recommend you get on that. Uh, 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 what, What can you tell folks who have not heard it about your podcast?
2: Well, so it's the Daily News podcast from The Times and The Sunday Times, and we do one story in-depth every day. And if you are following the, the psychodrama of British politics, then absolutely come and have a listen to us. We also do foreign news and sort of investigative series, um, but it's one, one podcast, uh, Monday to Friday. Come and have a listen. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, stories of our times.
0: Uh, and double thumbs up from this happy new subscriber. Thank you guys <laughs> so much for joining us.
2: Thanks for having us on. And
0: that will wrap it up for us today. Politics, politics, politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. But first, a bonus clip. Here is Kay Ivey, candidate for governor who's going to win in Alabama. It's a funny one. Here you go.
1: Growing up, my mom and dad told us if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. Well, here's what I have to say about Joe Biden. Alabama's one and only, Kay Ivey.
0: Poor Joe. Bless his heart. I'm going to be sad when the ads stop. I really like the ads. If you would like to uh, say thank you to Manveen for coming on the show, you can go on over to px3guest.com. If you'd like to email the program, it is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Our Twitter for the program is PX3 Tweets. You can find me live on Twitch, px3live.com. Share this podcast with your friends, family, and clergy, px3podcast.com. If you would like to support this program with a one-time donation, you can do so, paypal.me slash payjury. On Venmo, it is justin-young-20. Reminder that Venmo money isn't real. It's just a number on your phone. Prove it. By sending me a dollar today on cash app, it is PX three cash. And of course you can send anything that you would like in the mail to PO box one, five, three, one, eight, four, Austin, Texas, seven, eight, seven, one, five. I have made mention on this that when Joe Biden said he was going to forgive $10,000 in student debt, which has now been hung up in the courts, but we'll get to that in a second. Despite the fact that I'd already paid off my college debts, I did not begrudge anybody getting their money. However, I would like a hat. And so you, the PX3 listenership, decided to send me a kajillion hats. And while I will still accept them to P.O. Box 153184 Austin, Texas 78715, I will tell you right now that spiritually, spiritually, I need nothing more. Because a hat arrived today that has hand stencil painted on the following: ten thousand dollars from Joe Biden. <laughs> ten thousand dollars. It says on the brim of the hat. Uh, this was sent to me by Demon Five, a long time, long time uh, supporter of all things Diamond Club Chat Realm. Uh, uh in fact here in the in, in the recording booth uh, here's how long Demon 5 has been a, a fan of the show I'm looking at stuff he sent us years ago uh so thank you very much Demon 5 thank you to everybody who sent hats please again continue to send them I'll keep posting them on Twitter but just so everybody knows I will never want for the appropriate hat again because I have been gifted such by uh a Demon 5 so thank you thank you thank you Of course, the only place that you can get bonus content from this show is TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news we miss on our free podcast schedule. Again, $6. $6 between now and the midterms to get all that bonus content, the last-minute stuff that's breaking, every bit of early voting data that we can get, the last-minute polling, the the last-minute debates. Come on. This is a no-brainer. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Of course, if you want to get that and hear your name read right at the end of the podcast, then you need to get into the Titanic $10 tier like these fine folks, including Andres, Matt, MC Dradio, Unsafety B-Levels, Katie, Amanda, Ye Old Pinball Shop, DB4 Bongo, Catherine, Todd, persons familiar with the matter, and Vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Madison, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B, A, select, start, Dr. G, Neil, Charles, Darren, 100-mile runner, Idris Arslandian, Blue Front, and the Lenina, DL, Steven, Chad, Nomadic, Terran, Diana, turn two, Miranda, Janelle, Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul is awesome, Brad, Richard, D, Laser just another pilot, middle-aged Mike, who loves Frank, got abducted, Utah, Jimmy, Montana, the Gen A L D L D L D. Really? Chopper, Andrew, and Joshua. If you would like to join their ranks, place to do it. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. So, Friday, on Friday's show, we're going to debut something that we started doing during the primaries for the presidency where because I don't really do like prediction predictions on this show I'm instead going to to create our official expectation buckets so the the different levels of where I think everybody's expectations for the night should be calibrated and it's going to go from so optimistic for the democrats you're going to want to check your house for a gas leak because because the euphoria is going to be too much to a red wave that could lead to Joe Biden resigning the next day that's the gamut of our of our expectations and we will debut those on Friday also your friend my friend the world's friend Andrew Heaton not aware not wrong segment no he's going to come into Into the PX3 realm, just me and him, because my old boy, he doesn't really follow these horse race politics things too too much. Uh, He's been out of the country for all summer. So uh, it's basically just going to be Andrew Heaton asking me anything he wants about the midterms. I'm going to catch him up so everybody Will will he you'll be able to impress everybody about all of his knowledge and also to prep him because he's going to be watching the midterm returns live with us on my Twitch channel that, of course, you can find at PX3 live. That'll be midterm night. All right. That'll be it for us today. Until next time, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying. Some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss Oh! three. three. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio